0: Here we go. Today is Sunday, August 26, 2018, and this is episode 224 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as usual, is Mr. Andrew Gallett. Hey, Jerry. How are you, sir? It's been a while. It, indeed, it has been a while. Um, I'm pretty good. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I, uh, I'm integrating a new cat into the household, so that's my exciting non-work-life event at the moment. That sounds great and uh it's uh you know it, we're turning into the crazy cat people is what it really comes down I, to
0: i'm I, i'm noticing that <laughs> that's good my uh for, on my side my uh my oldest went off to college and uh, that's been um eventful i guess I would, say. Nice. <laughs> I would call it so um you know big deal yeah we're getting old
1: so i think that's what that means
0: that is for sure <laughs> so, um, so, just to, to tie up a, a loose end from uh, a while ago, we've uh, Andy and I've picked the winners of our um, of, of our giveaways. Uh, Andy had a, a a training class that he had won, and I had uh, DerbyCon tickets. And um, we've we've selected the winners, and we'll be contacting them, and uh, we'll we'll ask if they are okay with us mentioning their names. Uh, not going to do that unless they're okay. If they are, then we will make that announcement on the next on the next show. That
1: that's very thoughtful of you.
0: Well, you know, in this post uh, GDPR world, I, um, you know, I'm actually hesitant to say my own name these days. That's
1: fair. That is very fair. Yeah, I did. Have we updated our privacy policy on on a
0: regular basis? No, no, no. We don't even have a cookie banner. I I, I feel I feel like we're in the stone ages here. Jeez, you call yourselves a professional. I know, I know. Mm. All right, so um, just a, a reminder before we get into the show that the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our employers. Um, I, I will also say that um, it indeed it has been a long time, and uh, that that's largely been uh, been my fault because of lots of life Things happening, like I said, my uh, my oldest has gone off to college. That's kept me uh, kept me quite busy. So I'm hoping over the next um, you know next little while life will slow down and I can get you know more into a a routine. Uh, but I guess in the in the meantime, the, we uh, we're both going to be at DerbyCon.
1: Indeed, coming up. What is it? Just over a month and a half, or just less than a month and a half? Yeah,
0: it's the first weekend in October.
1: Yeah, so DerbyCon in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm actually speaking. Uh, They selected one of my talks to present, which is awesome and terrifying at the same time. That's awesome. It's a good conference. Lots of good people. And you know, it's funny. I don't don't want to get into drama. In fact, this is an anti-drama comment, but it seems, at least in certain Twitter spheres, a lot of drama comes out of a lot of conferences in the InfoSec community lately. And I will say, in general, DerbyCon does a very good job of, of keeping the drama low. And I appreciate that. I'm, I'm too old and cranky for drama these days.
0: Yeah. And when there is drama, it tends to be around, you know, um, uh, bugs in, in restaurants. In the, in the ah, <laughs> so, uh, never forget Trevor. That's, that's right. That's right. So, um, all right. So let's get into the stories for today. Uh, first one, uh, if I can find my, uh, my web browser here. First one comes from ZDNet, and the title here is, This destructive ransomware has made crooks $6 million by encrypting data and backups. We're, we're doing the wrong side of this
1: equation, Jerry. Uh, we, should be on, we should be on the bad guy side, man. Yes. I, I haven't made $6 million by trying to stop it. That's for damn sure. <laughs>
0: I think you're, I think you're, you may be onto something. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the um, Sam, Sam is, is of course what they're talking about here. And Sam, Sam, it, it has been in the news. We've talked about it on a number of uh shows in the past. It's um kind of most notably hit, uh for instance, the city of Atlanta and a, a couple of other high profile governments. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, distinguished from a lot of what I'll call the commodity type ransomware, which is really, uh, you know, kind of an individual oriented ransomware where this is more of an organization focused ransomware. And so in this particular article, they actually talk about, um, in, in some amount of depth, the actual method of, of, uh, you know of infection and and propagation and, and some details that I hadn't seen about SamSam before, so I thought that was was pretty good. In you know as as the the title leads you to believe, this is actually uh, you know par- apparently a somewhat uh, prolific piece of uh, you know of attack tactic. So um, anyway, there, there's apparently by by looking at the Bitcoin addresses that are being used, uh, researchers have figured out that the um this group is and it's, by the way is believed to be one group uh, doing all this is uh, um, collecting payments from about ten victims up to ten victims per month and over the past year they 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 estimated it was about five point nine million dollars um, which is quite a quite a lot of money apparently the the um the payments they're saying regularly exceed on a per Victim basis, uh, they regularly exceed fifty thousand bucks. So it's
1: yeah. If they're going after enterprises, that changes the equation a bit for what is a valued, you know, price to ask for. Uh, so that makes sense. Whereas when we saw these sort of ransomware going after individuals, it was usually in the sub thousand dollar category.
0: Yeah, hundreds, so
1: hundreds of dollars, right? Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't think they really speculate in this particular article, but it makes you wonder. Who is behind this particular uh you know, attack? Is it is it just organized crime? Is it just a group? Is it a nation state funneling black projects? Who knows?
0: Yeah. The, the, I can
1: tell you it's it's not me. I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> yes. yes, I can uh I can tell you it's not me too. Um otherwise I would have more free time I would I would assume. Uh, so, so anyway, the 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 way that this uh, SamSam is apparently getting into networks is through RDP connections. Um, and and so the speculation here, and I, I I think this is maybe a little more than speculation, is that uh, the attackers here are either using brute forced credentials, so they're you know they they just get lucky and find either you know password one or, or something like that, or they're purchasing uh, credentials off of a, uh, you know, off of a, f- a forum of um, you know, stolen credentials. Uh, and, and then, uh, and then by the way, it's, it, that's just the beginning, right? So that's just how they get in. And apparently once they get in, uh, they, they kind of launch a, a, what appears to be a fairly sophisticated operation, which um you know, obviously they don't wanna get caught, so they're um you know, they're they're trying to trying to uh, be relatively quiet, but I I guess it all starts with them trying to elevate uh privileges to administrator some some kind of domain administrator type account. And um it, which says to me, by the way, that this probably is uh, you know, an attack that most likely exclusively works on uh, Windows networks, you know, with with uh, Active Directory domains and and stuff like that, um, which you know should should give us some idea of <laughs> of techniques to help uh, defend against this. Not that we shouldn't use Active Directory, but maybe if you if you have to for some for whatever reason expose RDP to the internet, maybe that shouldn't be part of your domain. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Well, one thing I've seen is a regular
1: disconnect, especially at large organizations, between the folks running Active Directory and the security folks. Yes, it's not that the AD admins don't care, but they they're usually so busy doing the AD admin stuff that the security and the hardening and all that kind of stuff is usually a nice to have luxury that they never have time for. And you know, I see that definitely as a challenge.
0: True. very very yeah. true.
1: And, you know, the only thing that's interesting is as you get into larger and larger organizations, it seems like it's really unwieldy to try to make smart decisions across the entire organization from a security standpoint or set enough policy across the organization. So it it gets tough the bigger you get, it seems like. Even though you have more resources, you have more money, you have more tools, there's a thousand little decisions every day that goes into these sorts of things
0: yeah yeah you just have more cats who are trying to run <laughs> run all over the place. right uh, and it's not
1: that people don't mean well, but you know we live and breathe security every day and
0: they're trying to you know they're trying to do their job that's right yeah yeah absolutely
1: but it it's an interesting one yeah I, and you know the other thing I thought interesting about this is is that it goes after backups too
0: yeah so so apparently they 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 have uh, kind of prioritized targets first thing they tried to. Uh, disable is backups, and, and there's not a lot of details in what exactly they're doing. There's a couple of articles linked that uh, um, tried to describe it, but they don't actually make sense. So I'm not even going to bother uh, trying to <laughs> trying to explain it. But but it, it, needless to say that um, it makes sense, right? If you're if you're trying to compel a victim to pay, it behooves you for uh, to destroy their backups <laughs> before um, you know before you you launch your attack and uh, and then then uh, apparently it prioritizes data files over uh, non data files when it's backing or sorry when it's in, it's performing its encryption but it will eventually as it says encrypt almost everything uh, on systems um, yeah so
1: which which is handy except you don't have the encryption keys. Correct. I mean, you could pass a BCI audit, though. Hey, look, everything's encrypted. It's,
0: it's all encrypted. That's right. We just don't have the keys. Um, and, and it's so secure, we can't even open it. That's right. Sorry. And uh, and and so, so they they actually do go on to say that the um, the attacker, I guess, is relatively reliable in terms of uh, per- providing the decryption keys if you pay. Um, but the but they point out that the process of decrypting is kind of an exercise left to the organization right they give you they give you the tool and the and the private key to decrypt the files but that's basically all you get you got to figure know, out you know the
1: bad guys they're missing a perfect business opportunity so now they could offer a decryption as a service for a small additional fee
0: yeah, they need like some kind of plugin that works with like Landesk yeah, and BigFix and you know you what, fifty <laughs> a grand for CCM. the CCM,
1: an extra ten grand, and we've got an automated tool that'll help you restore everything, <laughs> a help desk that you can call into.
0: Right, you know, right. So, I mean, look at look I, at the money they're leaving on the table I, here. I. Why are we still on the good guy side? Because we have
1: brilliant bad guy ideas. <laughs>
0: Anyway, um so let's move on to the next story. Uh, this one comes from bleepingcomputer.com and the title here is Reddit announces security breach after hackers bypass staff's two-factor authentication. Uh this was a, this was big news a couple of weeks back. Um Reddit, most of the internet, you know, it has at some point been on Reddit. And um apparently some unknown attacker compromised a, a reddit administrator's account and this, it, by the way is kind of a complicated process and and there's some open questions on this because you know they would have had to know the user id the password and the phone number in order to perpetrate this attack but um it, you know effectively the two-factor solution and the, uh, if you were if you happen to be engaged at social me- in social media at all, you probably saw another bout of the s m s is not two factor um, hoopla that that kind of- uh pops up every now and then when something like this happens but you know basically uh reddit did apparently use s m s as their second factor the attackers um you know, know how knew how to, to bypass that and um, you know we we're, were able to to capture the the, the second factor token login and then uh, apparently stole a site backup from May 2007. Now it's not at all clear by the way why they went after that backup if that was the only one that was available or or what.
1: First off, let me give Reddit a lot of credit for keeping backups over 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, uh, you know, that's some serious dedication to storing they, backups. They did have good backups. I mean,
0: <laughs> you're absolutely
1: right. So, from the M- SMS, uh, are we thinking that they did some sort of SIM reassignment or phone number reassignment to a new SIM to get to get the token?
0: That is not clear. Um, mm. So, so there's there's two common ways. <clears throat> that this happens. One is is um, uh, well. Actually, I guess there's a couple different ways, right? You you call in and trick the phone company, right? There's the 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 SIM cloning, and then there's the SM. Uh, sorry, the uh, SS seven spoofing, right?
1: But somehow they intercepted it, but we're not exactly sure how right now.
0: That's correct. And so so by the way, this this always kind of brings up the or you know, recently at least brings up the point that. SMS is maybe not the best choice for two-factor authentication and you know and the, and of course the counter argument is well it's better than not having any and you know i i suppose depending on uh depending where you kind of fall in the risk spectrum is is it probably how material this problem is to you right i mean yes it is a problem right but it is also better than nothing. I mean, it, you have to have some level of sophistication to pull off this kind of an attack.
1: Yeah, it raises the bar. So yeah, I, I concur. It seems like whenever we hear about some of this, uh, people basically say, give up on all two-factor using SMS. And, and I would say, well, I think it depends on the risk tolerance and the situation that you're using SMS two-factor in and you know how important is that data that you're securing. If your choice is static password only, or static password plus SMS two factor, I would still use the two factor in most situations. Now, does it have weaknesses? Does it have edge cases that 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 people can pop it? Sure, uh, but I still think it's a useful technique. I think you know, it, it it it's a ubiquitous messaging system that everybody, including non-sophisticated IT users or home users, pretty much has access to. Right. And so that makes it useful because it's so ubiquitous. Is it perfect? No. Uh, but is it getting people used to the idea of two-factor and perhaps getting them, you know, comfortable and trained for it so that they can go to a more sophisticated one? Yeah. And and hopefully, maybe, the phone companies will get better about securing SMS. But I'm not in the camp of, you know, throw out SMS as a two-factor. It's 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 completely useless. I, I don't feel that way
0: no but at the same time though i i think it's if if anything right this is probably showing that the um, you know that the level and again we don't know who perpetrated this attack and maybe maybe it was a more sophisticated actor we we don't really know but it kind of does point out that it can happen right and it is not necessarily you know, always um, going after you know a billion dollar payout, um, you know. So, so it probably does make sense for people to start thinking about okay, you know, what is the roadmap to get to to get to something more secure? I, I think it's foolhardy for us to say you know let's let's drop SMS because it's useless, which I think is what you basically said. We I mean we get it's better than static password, only. Right.
1: So anyway, I, I mean, the flip side is you don't want to have a false sense of confidence and security with it
0: either. You need to know its weaknesses. That's very true. Very true. So, um, so moving on to the next story, which comes from data breach today, the title here is the art of the steel fin sevens, highly effective fishing. Uh, it, this by the way is kind of scary, um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the perspective, perspective of a, of a defender this is a very, very simple, what I would call a very simple type of attack. You know, it's, it's a simple way to make a standard phishing style attack far more effective. And, sure. And so this this group called Fin7, uh, I can only summarize, you know, especially after reading the article, is a, is a highly prolific uh, threat actor. They, they are apparently uh, alleged to have... Uh, committed about a billion dollars in fraud uh, as of 2015. Uh, And in a press conference back in early August, they were were, uh, alleged by prosecutors to have stolen 15 million payment cards from 150 different countries, or sorry, 150 different companies. And the way they do this is uh, it's relatively, again, low-tech and clever, they're sending traditional phishing emails with attachments, you know, uh, obviously trojaned attachments. But then they call their victims, so so they're 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 doing a little, you know, what appears to be a, a fairly abbreviated amount of research on the intended victim to find you know who in the organi- organization should they target and what should the email look like and then, thank you linkedin yeah, and and then they give them a call saying hey uh you know like they they in this article they they use the example of scheduling catering right they they um you know they'll they'll uh they'll send an email saying you know hey i'm i'm whoever from uh you know from a a company and i need uh you know i need to to place a catering order and then uh um uh, then they'll call and say, "Hey, you know, just so you know, um, I I need your help, right? I I'm I I need need you to uh, arrange for this, uh, you know, this dinner party or, or what have you." And and the article here goes on to point out that this is a really really difficult thing for organizations to counter with training alone because yeah. people are um, you know they 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 kind of point out that like there are people who are paid to open email attachments. And, and then they, they go even further to say, look, if you're a salesperson and someone calls you up and says, I want to make a purchase and I'm going to send you what I want in an attachment, you, you're probably going to open it. Right. <laughs> and it now is you know,
1: kind of countering the initial... Uh, or, or the typical training, which is don't open unexpected attachments. Well, guess what? Now it's expected. Exactly.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, it's – it's. this gets back to something that we've talked about before, that the bad guys who are doing social engineering, they're appealing to our need to do whatever it is we do that we're compensated and judged on. And they're likely to continue to do that. And it makes it very tough. And so you know, training alone is not going to stop that. And, uh, you know, expecting our users to just be smart enough, and, and I can't believe they fell for that. Well, you know, a lot of people are going to fall for this because they're paid to interact with these sorts of uh, of interactions, to, you know, overuse that word. But how are you going to stop it without either technology or without process or procedure that, that may be very cumbersome? Yes. and difficult for for people to uh, to adapt. So, yeah, phishing is going to continue to be a very nasty threat.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say that there are no silver bullets in this in this article, right? They kind of point out that this is a this is a real problem. It kind of goes against the the best practices, like you said. You, you know, we tell people don't open attachments from. Uh, from people they don't know or people they don't expect. Well, you know they're targeting. This particular threat actor is targeting people who, you um, know, are effectively are uh, have to. They don't have a choice. They have to open attachments. Um, and and then by the way, they kind of disarm the one. You know the 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 one caveat is well you know you shouldn't open an attachment that you aren't expecting and they they counter that by. Uh, you know, by having that, that phone call. And so I would say, I would characterize it that this um, this threat actor has found a way to do highly effective phishing at scale. I mean, I don't know how much money they or how much time and effort they're putting into researching each of their custo- or each, uh, customers, each of their victims here, but I suspect there's not a ton. And like you said, you know, groups like LinkedIn or, or sites like LinkedIn make this, um, you know, relatively straightforward and I, I i would imagine that you know that if the, if this organization is kind of what i'm thinking that they, they probably have uh kind of scripted this out like you know how how to how to identify who to target and um you know and whatnot so this is this is kind of a, a um you know, again a scary a scary situation and What's even worse, or what's even more concerning for me is while this threat actor found, you know, <laughs> that, that, that this technique was is, is highly effective, it's out there now. I mean, I, I, I've got to believe that, you know, the, this fin, I, we don't know who Fin7 is in terms of, like, is it an organized crime gang or is it, you know, I, I don't really know who it is, but this is, n- nothing here is complicated,
1: no, but what's important and what's helpful is that they've copyrighted this actual attack technique. So much like how it can only be a nation state that could do a certain technique, they you know, this nobody else can possibly duplicate this technique.
0: Ooh, that's that's a good point. And you know what? Victims should also go into their risk register All right. and file add this and file a risk around uh phishing because that that way the adversaries can't use that as an as an attack. Uh,
1: obviously, we're being facetious. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh, it'll get interesting. I, I this is actually somewhat part of the talk that I'm planning to give at DerbyCon too. Not that that was why this got picked, but um, it is a very very tough problem to fix, and uh, there are there are not a lot of silver bullets. And there are not a lot of easy answers. I'm glad that I'm seeing more articles start to say training is not the silver bullet, though. Training is not the only answer. Uh, you know, we I feel like we're at the early stages of how sophisticated um, fishing can get. We're yeah, at the basics.
0: Yeah, exactly. They I mean, can get far more sophisticated. Absolutely. And, and and you know, there, there's a ton of incentive for the adversary to continue innovating. and And they'll continue to you know i this this whole blended attack model i think is going to continue to develop the you know the multimodal view of of you know con- contacting by email or by social media or and, and by phone you know that's mm-hmm. uh it's it's again it's it's low investment so Anyhow, uh, moving on to the last story. This one uh, was I, I thought really great. Uh, it's a follow-up to the Notpetya attack from last year. It comes from Wired, and it's um, you know it's one of those uh, kind of long-form articles that really focuses on the the experiences of the company uh, shipping company named Maersk. And Maersk is a um, you know, one of the largest, if not the largest um uh, uh, ocean shipping companies in in the world and as is well known they were um uh, they were just ravaged by not petya in the uh, you know in in that event and it kind of walks through the timeline as it you know as as things unfolded in in mari i mean this thing is is a, a very long article so we're not going to do it justice but and it's definitely worth read but um there you know, some of the the high points i would say uh you know that there was a a, a comment or or a, a discussion about how uh you know their basically their entire it was decimated uh you know all their all their servers and whatnot. They, and they had apparently they had pretty good backups except for active directory <laughs> Um, they they had a um, you know as as a globally and I see this by the way quite a lot I see this kind of concept quite a lot that
1: um, AD is your favorite whipping boy. Uh,
0: no, I well not just with Active Directory right, but I, and, and yes, Active Directory is my favorite whipping boy because I see a lot of people do a lot of dumb things with it. Um, but in any event, uh, what I see a lot of a lot of companies who are globally distributed in nature do is. Um, they kind of set up mirrored, you know, replicated systems in geographically diverse areas. The thinking is that, you know, if if one or more of those sites, you know, if a volcano erupts underneath it, well, you know, it's not going to affect the other sites. But that does not, uh, it does not account for, you know, a, right. a, a destructive yeah, attack. Right.
1: It's their backup. It's their DR. It's their failover, uh, assuming a specific threat model or a specific event, right. and not accounting for this.
0: Yeah, right. And and I would say that that Active Directory is a is a little bit of a of a unique case because it you know it's a, it's one of those things where. Like you would have to, it would have, things would have to be really, really, really bad for you to think about restoring from a backup of Active Directory because it's Mm -hmm. just a, a, a god awful mess to consider doing that. And so I could, I could definitely see how you would come to the conclusion that it's, it's also
1: highly dynamic. Yes. Like, you know a 10 minute old backup is probably pretty and, severe in terms of changes for a large organization
0: and that's and that's the reason i think why why yeah. they end up here anyway so um so all that uh, apparently Maersk has uh, has or had about 150 domain controllers throughout the world and they were all nuked they were all wiped and they had no backups except that they had a domain controller in Ghana in, in in an office in Ghana that had lost power apparently the day before and hadn't regained nice. power. And so it was off. It was powered so, down.
1: new plan. You select one of your AD controllers at random or at planned and have it off for 24 hours at a time, and then you rotate. So at any one time, one of your AD controllers is off. There you go. Or at least unplugged there you from go. the network. Brilliant. That I need to sell that as a Blinky box. You should go patent that. Active
0: Director resilience program. You should go patent that idea. Wow, that's, that's, that's gold. That's DR gold right there. So, so they got
1: lucky. Is what it comes down to. So they could use that to start rebuilding and replicate off that guy.
0: Correct. Yeah. Correct. Because it had
1: as long as they knew that as they started to rebuild, there was no remnants of the uh, attack code or other malware still in the environment they were plugging back in.
0: Yeah. yeah, and and you know the the challenge is that they're you know being a global company like Marisk they they're very complicated, right? So I I suspect their their active directory structure was you know was um was very complicated and very attuned to their specific needs and you know would would take a probably a whole lot of effort to rebuild so um so they they actually t- uh talk a, a little bit about some of the challenges they had in recovering the backup because they they wanted to uh transfer it over the internet, but found that it was going to take like weeks um because of the the speed of the connection oh, yeah. out, out of Ghana, and so they were going to send someone from the their their london recovery um, command center in, you know, but nobody there had a passport to get in, into Ghana. So they decided to have, um, someone from, uh, from London meet s- someone from Ghana at an airport in Nigeria and, and kind of handed off the, the hard drive. I'm sure that didn't look suspicious think, at all to, uh, I think I read about this in a William Gibson novel back in yeah. the, in the eighties. <laughs> sure. That didn't look suspicious to security <laughs> at, at all there. Um, but uh epic. but yeah so so that kind of got them up and running and then in in the you know late much later the ceo uh, in, in a presentation talked about how in, how in the in the course of 10 days they had rebuilt 4000 servers and 45000 PCs but but Man. even so the um as they as the article says here that you know even even At that, the the actual recovery continued on twenty four by seven for another two months. After that,
1: I can't imagine what it was like to be in their IT department for that.
0: It's it's really crazy when you you read through some of the stuff here. And and keep in mind, this is um, you know it's it's Maersk, right? They they have giant giant you know uh, ships with full of containers. And they talk mm-hmm. about how um, how they were processing orders via WhatsApp and <laughs> wow. and uh, and personal Gmail accounts and whatnot. And so, you know, the, the one thing that that kind of got me thinking is, and maybe this doesn't make sense for every company, right? But I, I guess if you're, especially if you're like some kind of systemically important business to the you know to the world like you you probably need to have a a, a kind of a scorched earth plan like what happens if you get Sony well I was thinking about that and I was thinking about is that really valid is that such an edge
1: case that spending the resources and the time to keep that plan up to date a waste I I how much of a plan does it need to be you know I mean like But you've worked at large companies. I've worked at large companies. Those things take on a life of their own. And then they got to be updated quarterly and they got to be vetted,
0: um, et cetera, et cetera. uh, Internal uh, audit has to come in and looks at it. And then tested.
1: And then. Yeah. I mean, I I hear what you're saying, but it it makes sense at an abstract level. But then I think about all the bureaucracy that spins up around these things and the life of their own that they take on. And I, Mm -hmm. I fear that you have a finite amount of resources and clearly this is a terrible event and i'm sure that they wish they would have had a plan mhm but on the likelihood scale is there other areas that they should be spending those resources on that's more likely to hit them
0: probably so probably so but i guess when i'm when i say have a plan i'm i'm not thinking have a you know have a binder right I'm thinking like what would you do you know would you tell people to to use Gmail or to use WhatsApp maybe maybe it's just something that's in the back of your mind you don't ever write it down you know but if it did happen what would you do that's a good question Uh, before or after I short the stock (laughs) but if there's if there's one thing that Equifax should teach us is that's a terrible terrible idea. Yeah, yeah.
1: That'll get you in a Martha Stewart prison.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, which, by the way, I think we talked about that. But I think uh, the second the second IT person associated with Equifax was just convicted of insider yeah. training. So, you know. Yeah. Don't don't do what I just said, guys. Wa- watch watch yourselves.
1: It. Yeah, insider training is nasty. Don't do it. Uh yeah, it's I, I hear what you're saying and it's fun to think about it. Like it's kind of like the, the the zombie apocalypse of the IT world. Like what would you do if like the entire thing fell apart and you had to restart from scratch in your you know in your Montana hut after you finished your manifesto? Um but I just I, I think that would just get so out of control for a large company.
0: Um but I, I like the concept. I'm just so. gun
1: shy of of auditors.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you're right. Uh, you're 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 right. It would. Um, you, you have to temper. You have to temper it. Um, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm especially in a case like, like I, I'm not sure that many organizations would really need to to worry about that too much. But I, I would imagine that Marisk is probably one of those companies where where it does make maybe it makes sense right and you know maybe it's well we have that kind of concept
1: here in the u.s of critical infrastructure right correct right and who knows how effective that program is <laughs> i'll just join your your organization's isaca program and you know get all that sort of infra- uh, yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> but by the way the uh the european union now has that concept as well with they, uh, mm. they they passed the uh the nis regulation it actually went into effect around the same time as uh gdpr but it's kind of like bleeding bleeding into uh into production i guess is the way that way i would say it uh yeah. so, so each of the each of the countries in the european european union have to i think it's by this november designate who their their critical infrastructure segments are, and in which entities fall into that, and then there's a you know kind of a uh, a load of additional expectations, you know, forced upon uh, those uh, critical infrastructure players. So anyway, uh, so so good. It's a this is a it's a good article. Um, you know, I think there were quite a few organizations throughout the world that were affected by not, not Petya and not, it was obviously not just Maersk. I think they were one of the larger companies to get hit by it, but I mean, it was, it, it affected companies even in the U S that had no ties to the Ukraine, which is where this, um, you know, this or, or that accounting software that started this whole thing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, you know, they they talk about in in this article they talk about how uh, in a U- Ukrainian a small Ukrainian port <laughs> operated by Maersk, the uh, the the office manager asked the IT, an IT person to set up the the ME doc software, which is you know kind of what created the foothold uh, to take down Maersk's systems. Uh, but yeah, it it this this thing. Propagated here, there, and everywhere. I mean, there were stories about, if memory serves, hospitals, kind of small regional hospitals in Pennsylvania, that were taken out. uh, You know, with with no apparent connection. And I think it was because they had, they had a business partner who connected to their network, who also connected. You know, so it was three or four steps removed. But this kind of goes back to the. I would say that the the growing risk of interconnection risk between organizations and, you know, we're we're getting to a point now where it's, if, anything, if not Petya shows us anything and WannaCry to some extent as well, you know, there's, we don't really understand the paths from, you know, one point to another point. And, you know, and, and it's kind of like that stupid game, the six degrees of, Kevin Bacon or whatever, right? You know, how do you, uh, you know, how do you connect? To how many steps away are you from? Is your organization's network from any other organization's network? Okay.
1: Well, I can query BGP and figure that out. Actually,
0: that's not what I meant. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. It's coming from inside the firewall.
1: Yes. Uh, I'm being difficult. I'm sorry. Anyway. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, no, you're right. I mean, this is, this is the plus or minus of the internet, right? This is the, the risk we have incurred to connect everything. Correct. Uh, with all the value that that comes with. Correct. And, uh. So we'll see we'll see what continues to happen because uh, this is I mean if you really go back and look at this this is a tough one because it came from a trusted piece of software that was corrupted at its source and pushed out an update in a trusted methodology that's a really tough one to fight.
0: Yeah and, and we we didn't cover that segment of the story but they actually do a, a pretty good job of explaining the you know the the history or the background about how NotPetya was pushed out Victims and whatnot that's also covered pretty well In here so what we're basically saying is just read The story we read, read the story yeah it's It's good yeah. I mean this is this is The story that you know You can tell your grandkids like you lived Through the first real cyber war
1: And got cyber scars
0: Yeah right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know you had to throw some Throw some emojis around <laughs>
1: Oh, I have so many jokes I'm not going to make. I'll just I'll just leave them be.
0: Good plan. All right. I'll just leave them be. Well, that is the show for today. And uh, hopefully we will be back again before another three weeks. So thanks, everyone. And uh, we'll talk again real soon.
1: Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye.